welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Support for this episode is brought to you by the Headset app. Are you looking for a simple solution for coach to catcher communication for the season that doesn't require bulky hardware in the dugout? Traditional communication gear can be a headache to set up and carry from game to game. But what if there's a game-changing solution? Introducing the Headset app, your new MVP in communication for coaches and catchers. Enjoy crystal clear, ultra HD audio without the major league price tag. It's compatible with any Bluetooth headset or earbuds. Say goodbye to tangled wires and extra hardware. Ready to step up to the plate? Download the Headset app for free today. Getting started is as easy as a home run trot. Create your account, invite your team, and start calling pitches. The Headset app is ready for download in the App Store and on Google Play. Swing for the fences and download today to get a five-day free trial. And for a limited time, use ABCA24 when you buy your pass for next season and save 10%. Find out more at theheadsetapp.com. Next up on the ABCA podcast is 2024 ABCA Hall of Fame class inductee Georgia Tech head coach Danny Hall. Hall has coached 36 seasons as a head coach at Kent State Georgia Tech closing in on 1,400 wins. Paul's the Yellow Jackets all-time winningest coach and the all-time winningest Division I head coach in the state of Georgia. Prior to his time at Kent State and Georgia Tech, Hall was an assistant coach at Michigan and Miami, Ohio. Hall's first year at Georgia Tech, he led the Yellow Jackets to a runner-up finish at the College World Series. Hall's led the Yellow Jackets to three College World Series appearances, 23 NCAA regionals, six Super Regionals, and five ACC tournament championships. Hall is one of the best player development coaches in the game, having coached some of the best players of their generation in Barry Larkin, Jim Abbott, Chris Sabo, Nomar Garciaparra, Jason Veritek, Jay Payton, Mark Teixeira, Matt Wieters, and Charlie Blackman. Let's welcome Danny Hall to the podcast. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How's, how's your dad? Uh, he, oh, awesome. Awesome. They uh, they live in uh, Pensacola, Florida now. Yeah, we go way back to when he was coaching uh, for Galesburg in the Central <laughs> Illinois Collegiate League. All roads lead back to the CICL. I played, I played third base and uh, 
So always got a chance to chat him up, you know, every time we played him. And uh, for whatever reason, I always played pretty good against him. I don't know what the reason was, but. It's amazing but, to think just the game itself has grown on the college side, but then you look at the summer league side too and how much it's grown. Cause shoot back then it was a CICL Alaska and Cape league. And that was about it back then. You're right. No, you're right. Yeah. I played uh, two years in a row there. So played in Peoria and, and, uh, and then played in Bloomington uh, after my junior year. And uh, you know, Peoria, we won the, uh, we won the championship Bloomington. It was just more, uh, just, you know, it was a good group of guys. Like I knew some of the guys and had played against them. We all lived, uh, in a house on, uh, uh, shoot, Illinois Westlands campus. Yeah. And I, you know, I played for the an, Twin it, City stars two two summers. Okay. So we yeah. lived, we played at Illinois state then. So we actually lived in apartments uh right there the the woodridge apartments by the uh, firehouse yeah. at illinois state so we did that two years we actually yeah. won the championship my my second year duffy who, bass who was a, duffy bass was a duffy GM. Bass. coach okay. bass you know my dad played for coach bass at illinois state okay. and so my dad had these great duffy bass stories and so you're always leery with coach bass because you know you worked back then you had jobs and you know, I had I had probably the best job my second summer. It was with an engineering company, but I had to be there at six thirty in the morning. But it kept me out of trouble because I knew I could not miss and and lose that job because I didn't want Coach Bass to yell at me. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was great times, and back then that was a great league. Yeah. You know, and uh, so now all good. Well, make sure you tell him hello for hello. me when hello. when you talk to him. Cool. All right, here with Danny Hall, ABC Hall of Famer this year, uh, all-time winningest coach in 30-plus seasons at Georgia Tech and closing in on 1,400 wins, I think, at, uh, with Kent State and Georgia Tech and uh, Miami of Ohio and Kent State Hall of Famer as well. So, Coach Hall, thanks for jumping on with me. No, it's great, Ryan. Great to be here. Hey, what are the keys for longevity in coaching? I think, uh, I, you know, I think a lot of fortune for sure. Um uh, I would say, you know, I always say this about any coach that show me a coach that is good and they're probably a good recruiter because if you have good players, you'll have a chance to have a good team. And uh, but I feel very fortunate everywhere I've been uh, from Miami of Ohio, playing on great teams there, playing for a great coach in Bud Middall, joining his staff as a graduate assistant. That's kind of where I got my uh, got my start. And uh, him taking me to Michigan when I was 24 years old and having a chance to coach some great players, uh, you know, at Michigan, one of them being a Hall of Famer and Barry Larkin, uh, then kind of taking a side turn, honestly, to Kent State and going there. Bob Todd had uh, kind of gotten that program going, you know, a little bit, uh, but I was able, I guess, to kind of push it over the top. Uh, and then fortunate enough to get a chance to go south and come to a great institution like Georgia Tech. That was the team I inherited was ranked number one in the country. Uh, but I left a really good team at Kent State. And, uh, uh, and now 30 years later, uh, you know, here I am. But I think I've been fortunate to be around a lot of great people. Uh, a lot of great coaches, but, you know, ultimately it comes down to, you know, how well do your players play for you and for your school? 
And uh, so that part of it just been a blessing. What are some keys for assistant coaches staying in it? I mean, that's still recruiting as well, correct? It, it, no, no, it is. And, uh, you know, and, and I, w- I would t- I, I love telling this story. So I go to Kent State. They really didn't have an assistant coach position. So now you're trying to get, okay, who can I get to uh, come in here uh, for almost no pay? Uh, to help me coach because I mean there's no way as just one person's going to coach a college baseball team so so I get over there and and uh, I had coached a guy at Miami of Ohio when I was a graduate assistant there named Donnie Seeker that uh, you know I knew he was a teacher in the area around Kent so I'm like hey you know could I get Seeker to come over after he's done with teaching school all day to help me coach so talk to him a little bit and then he uh, he said to me, he goes, I don't know if you know it, but he goes, Rick Rimbalak is uh, is finishing school at Akron. He just got out of pro baseball. And so Rimbalak and Seeker were freshmen at Miami of Ohio when we won the Mid-American Conference with Coach Middall. So, so I said, well, do you have Rick's number? And so he gave me the number. I talked to, you know, I always called him Remy. And... Uh, and so we ended up, you know, he just told me, he goes, I want to finish school. I do want to go into coaching. And so I went to my athletic director at Kent, you know, Paul Amadio. He's he's deceased, but just great man. And I wouldn't be sitting here today without, you know, him giving me that opportunity to be a head coach. But I went to him and he goes, well, I'll tell you what we can do. He said, let's see, if let's pay for his schooling to finish. He's going to have to, you know, come to Kent, but come over here. We'll pay for his schooling. And he goes, we'll give him a truck that we use, uh, you know, for like the grounds crew or whatever. So literally for the first couple of years there, he's finishing school. He's helping me coach. And then he ended up when I left to come here being the, the head coach at Kent state and then went from there to wake. And, uh, you know, kind of the rest is, is history on that. Then I come here and, um, so I was hired here in, in kind of December about this time of year. And so kept the staff that uh, Jim Morris had. So Jim Morris was here. He took the job at Miami. So I kept that staff and, uh, uh, you know, and had them for a year. We ended up playing for the national championship against Oklahoma, unfortunately lost. And uh, one of those guys, a guy named Paul Mears, he kind of went into his family business uh, I elevated my volunteer to uh, to to be my assistant, and uh, then we changed pitching coaches. And was but Spanky I brought McFarland a with you. No, Spanky had left, so I think he was already at James Madison. I no, think. he he left because I, I worked for Spanky. This is a good story, okay. and, and you know, and Spanky and Chuck Bartlett. You know, Chuck Bartlett's brother oh, yeah. played at Michigan. Yes, but Spanky, when we'd be in the office and we talk, I'd be like, "Hey, what was your biggest regret in coaching?" Because you're just trying to get experience. He said, "I should have never left Georgia Tech to go to Northern Illinois." Just, he started the baseball program at Northern Illinois. That's right. And so then, you know, and, and slogged through at NIU, and then ended up getting the job at JMU. But he always like, "I should have, I should have stayed at Georgia Tech." <laughs> yeah, and that was the fortunate thing for me. So when the Georgia Tech job opened up, uh, I called Ray Tanner. And, uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, I kind of had a little bit of a relationship with Ray and I'm like, who's going to get the Georgia tech job. And he said to me, he goes, it's wide open. 
because Rick Jones had just left to go to Tulane to be the head coach. So he goes, that job's going to be wide open. And, you know, that kind of started a whole process because I, I didn't know anybody at Georgia Tech, but Ray was able to put me in touch with the guy that was the head of the search committee that had played here. He was great. He, he was great friends with Jim Morris and honestly helped Jim Morris put Georgia Tech on the map. And uh, so I was able to contact him and that kind of started the process of, uh, I guess, them vetting uh, me with people in the Midwest that knew me. Uh, I was very fortunate at that time, Cam Bonifay, who is an assistant GM uh, with the Reds, was the GM of the Pirates at that time. Kent State's an hour from Pittsburgh. And so through their scout, through Cam Bonifay, it got back that, hey, I, I was doing a good job at Kent State and I got an opportunity for an interview and rest is history, as they say. When you and Coach Memo went to Michigan, did you inherit any of those guys or was that all recruiting with Larkin and Abbott and all those greats that you had at Michigan? Did you Were any of those guys on campus when you guys showed up? No. So so they had uh, they had lost Rick Leach, Steve Howe, and a guy named, I think, Steve Perry. So those were the three best players on those Michigan teams. Uh, but we inherited some guys that had played a lot. And then we were able, even though it was kind of late in the year, to bring some freshmen in. Uh, and some of those freshmen ended up turning into be really good, uh, good players for us. But then it was just through recruiting of getting guys like Larkin, you know, Chris Sabo, Hal Morris, Jim Abbott. Uh, I could go on and on of some great players. Casey Close, who runs Excel Sports Management, just went in the College Baseball Hall of Fame last year. So we were uh, we were very fortunate. We used our Ohio ties, honestly, to recruit a lot of guys out of Ohio to Michigan. Uh, we recruited Indiana hard. We got a few from Chicago but it was mostly Michigan, Ohio, Indiana. And, uh, and like I said, just, you know, what an honor to get a coach, a guy like Barry Larkin and a lot of those guys I mentioned and, uh, you know, went to the college world series four out of eight years, which is unheard of for a uh, Midwest school, so to speak. You know, for you then going to Kent, was it, was it hard for you to leave Michigan or was it time for you to get a head coaching job? It was really hard, and and I love uh, telling this story because I knew we had a great we'd had great teams and we had a great team coming back, uh, and so I I had a guy named Al Oldenburg who worked for Wilson Sporting Goods, and he was the one pushing me to put my name in the hat at Kent State. So because Al had been so good to our program at Michigan, I just felt like I owed it to him. Okay, I'm going to put my name in. And so put my name in. Well, of course, they want me to come over to Kent to uh, to interview. So I go and I had played in the Mid-American Conference. And at that time, Kent State was a non-factor. Their facility was not good. So I go over for my interview. And uh, the athletic director, who I've already mentioned, Paul Amadio, he he's not even there that day. Like, I, I interview with uh, the assistant AD. I, I interview with the radio guy. And the facility looked the same when I had played there, you know, eight, 10 years ago. So I'm driving back home to, uh, uh, to Ann Arbor. And I'm like, there is no way I'm going there. And so I get back, Al Oldenburg calls me and he goes, well, how'd it go? And I'm like, how I go, 
the AD wasn't even there. I said, I said, I'm not going there. And he said, oh, he goes, let me call him. So he calls Paul Amadio. Of course, Paul Amadio calls me and he goes, I'm sorry, I had something come up. Is there any way you could drive back over here? And so I guess because of Al, I'm like, okay, I'll drive back. So I drive back, meet him. And I felt good about him, honestly. Like, you know, I, I, I felt okay, but facility hadn't changed. So I, I drive all the way back. I'm like, now I'm, I know I'm going to get offered the job. And I'm like, I'm going to turn it down. And uh, so go to sleep. That's in my mind. I'm turning it down. Get up the next morning. I'm shaving. And for what, you know, I, I'll just say it like this. It was probably the good Lord looking down on me. And it got in my head that, okay, it's time for you to go cut your teeth and be a head coach. And uh, even though this probably isn't the maybe the greatest opportunity, but, you know, maybe it's the right opportunity. So I said, if they call, I'm going to take it. So that's kind of what happened. But here's kind of the untold story, I think, of Kent State. So I go there my first two years. The first team I inherited was an older team. Uh, but so I coached those guys. I think we were 27 and 25 or 28 and 26. Had some guys get drafted on that team. But the roster turned over immediately because there was a lot of older guys on the team. So I was able to recruit a good incoming freshman class. One of those guys is Greg Beals, who was my first catcher I recruited. And Greg's now at Marshall, was at Ohio State, coached at Ball State. So by turning that over, I felt like, okay, I got kind of my guys in here and you got to coach them and develop them. But in my second year there, our president at the time was a guy named Michael Schwartz, diehard Chicago Cubs fan. Grew up in Chicago, loved baseball. He convinced at the time that I took the job, the Mid-American Conference, the cap on scholarships was eight for baseball. So uh, Dr. Schwartz went to all the presidents and he said, I think we should take the cap off of the, the baseball scholarships. And at that time, it was 13. God, we'd love to have that right now. <laughs> but but. So he convinces all the presidents to take the cap off. And, and they did it with the idea that, hey, uh, you know, Kent State may take the cap off and go to 13, but if Ohio U only wants to go to 10 or whatever, they could choose to do whatever they wanted to do. So they voted in. And so we immediately go from eight scholarships to 13, which was critical because the Big Ten at that time had 13. And... Uh, and then, so that was the one thing like that just gave you a, a much wider variety of scholarship money to, to go get some players. The second thing that happened is that Kent State decided at that time they were going to build an indoor football practice facility that also had, you know, up and down uh, cages, had a track around the football field. So from a recruiting standpoint and a development standpoint, in my mind, that's why we just our, our our we took off uh when that happened and a lot of it was because of uh, you know rick rimbalak and the other guy i'd love to mention he's passed away so i kind of recruited literally a, a sandlot coach named dick schooner i was going to ask you about scooney and 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 that totally took our program to a different level as well 
uh, because Scooney was an outstanding pitching coach, uh, developed literally two first rounders while I was there and uh, Dustin Hermanson and Travis Miller. And so, you know, it wasn't just me doing it. It was our president, uh, you know, it was guys like Dick Schoonover and Rick Rimbalak that just helped me tremendously uh, kind of get the program off and running at Kent. And a good pocket of baseball in that area, too, where there, there wasn't a national, really a national recruiting scene yet where you had a really good pocket where maybe a lot of schools weren't getting into yet. They are now, but you had a good pocket of baseball up in that, that corner of, of Northeast Ohio. No, no question. And so many just good athletes in Ohio. And, you know, like most kids that grow up then, you know, they played football or, you know, they played football, basketball, and baseball. So maybe they weren't quite good enough to be a division one football player, but now they go into the spring of their senior year and, okay, I'm a pretty good baseball player. So I was able to get a lot of those guys kind of late that develop late or they figured out, okay, now I got to put all my eggs in this basket of baseball. And uh, so just, just fortunate, you know, that way. And then the other thing I would say is that I had a great relationship with a guy named Gene Bennett, who uh, ended up being assistant GM of the Cincinnati Reds. But Gene Bennett was the scout in the Midwest for the Reds that signed Barry Larkin, signed Chris Sabo, uh, you know, signed all these guys that the Cincinnati played for the Cincinnati Reds. And he would go around the Midwest with tryout camps throughout the summer. And if he saw somebody that he thought was a good player, uh, he would he would call me and say, hey, I think you need to go, you know, kind of see, you know, this guy. And uh, and so, you know, I'd go see him and he's usually right. And uh, and then we'd start the recruiting process of just trying to get some of these guys. And then also at that time, Youngstown was kind of the where all the Connie Mack baseball uh, like state tournaments and regional tournaments happen. American Legion baseball was still really good there. And uh, so you just, you know, you got in your car and you drove and watched as many games and as many players as you could and then tried to convince them to come to Kent State. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much the pro scouts and the college coaches worked together back then just to help each other. Like, that's changed a lot. Like, it's just – it's not the relationship anymore. But back then it was – you know, my dad had so many good pro scouts that helped him get players, you know, because you talk to them all the time. Yeah, no doubt. And and I would say it like this. One of them is, is probably his recommendation to – Cam Bonifay, the GM of the Pirates. So it's a guy named Steve Demeter, played in the big leagues. His grandson ended up playing for me, Derek Dietrich. Uh, but when Steve was called to ask about me, he basically told Cam Bonifay, he goes, one of the best coaches in the Midwest. He's got great players. He's got great relationships with the scouts. And, you know, here I, here I am. So, you know, I've always valued that. I think, you know, college coaches and scouts need to work together. You know, we're trying to help players become major league players, so to speak. Uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't be sitting here today without guys like Gene Bennett that, you know, were just, you know, great friends and and uh, cared about the kids. And Georgia Tech's always had good, good Ohio players, too, always. We have. No, we a have. Lot. We, I mean, you look, you look we, down we, the laundry list. I mean, Derek Dietrich's one. Like, you look down the laundry list, you know, and I coached Corey Vance and Jason Basil in the Cape League. And so, you know, just – 
and I had I had played in the Cape and played against some really good Georgia Tech players too. But it's it's amazing to think that the good players out of Ohio that have played at Georgia Tech. No, we've been very fortunate, and uh, you know, and you kind of mentioned it. Now everybody recruits in there, and they're yes. just there, there's no uh, diamonds in the rough or secrets anymore between uh, you know perfect game and prep baseball and all the things and opportunities. Honestly, that kids have now to you know be seen by college coaches. And so the Georgia Tech job is there late. So so Coach Morris, I mean, he'd, he'd had a whole fall with those guys. So how was it getting there that late? Because I, I did that a couple different times where you're getting there late. Um, how was that trying to get that going? I think the thing that helped me is that I had – it wasn't late to go to Kent State, but it was an older team. And so it was like, you know, you could probably change some things to – do some things to to make those guys better, but they were pretty much set in their ways, and probably the culture, you know, was 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 set. Uh, so come to Georgia Tech, like it, it's literally, you know, the convention hits, and we come back from the convention, and and we're practicing. So we had 22 players on the team, and I love telling this story. Like it's great now that we have 40 40 man rosters or. 35-man rosters, but we played for the national championship against Oklahoma with 22 players. One of them was a football player that just decided to come out named Jimmy Lincoln. And Jimmy would tell you he's not a great baseball player, but he could run. He was a great clubhouse guy. Uh, we'd had a pitcher go down. Uh, so we were literally probably in, in Omaha with 20 players at that time. Uh, but here, here's what I knew. I had Jason Veritek. And so that, that's a good place to start. He had been a uh, he had been already been a first round pick his junior year. They couldn't sign him, so I'm very fortunate that I roll in here and I got an All American catcher. I've got Nomar Garcia Para, All American shortstop, an Olympian at that time. Those guys could play in the Olympics, so he and Veritek were on the Olympic team. Jay Payton, Jay who Payton. was from Ohio and was very instrumental in me getting an interview here because I had recruited him when I was at Kent state. So he knew me. Uh, and then they had, you know, they had a guy named Brad Rigby who, who ended up on that team being a second round pick. So I had a, an ACE pitcher. I had a great catcher, great shortstop, great center fielder. And then there were some great role players, but there was no depth. There was no depth in the pitching staff, just no depth on the field. Uh, but it was kind of just, you know, okay, here, here's my ideas and uh, here's how I think, you know, we can enhance what you guys have already done. But those guys, the ones I mentioned were such great leaders that they had the clubhouse under wraps. And I'll always say this is that Jason Veritek, as great of a player that he was in college and also as great of a player as he was in the major leagues, he's probably the hardest worker I've ever had. And so when you're one of your best players is the hardest worker that just sets the tone for everybody else. And I love telling this story. So my first game at Georgia tech, we're playing Minnesota, John Anderson, who I knew really well, I'd consider John Anderson, a friend. He's been coaching longer than I have, by the way. And uh, so we're playing, that's who we're playing first game of the year. So we ended up winning that series. I think I think we won all three games, but here's where I'm going with it. Jason Veritek, first pitch he sees that weekend, hits a home run. He goes eight for 10 on the weekend. 
the series ends. We're in old Russ Chandler Stadium. I'm kind of in the little office shower area where the coaches shower. Knock on the door. It's Veritech. And he, he goes, hey, uh, what time are you going to get here tomorrow? And I looked at him and I go, what time do you want me to get here? He goes, how about one o'clock? I'm like, all right. I said, what What you got? He goes, my swing doesn't feel right. And I'm looking, I'm like, this guy just went eight for 10 on the weekend. <laughs> First pitch he sees, he hits a home run. So I knew when, when he had that type of attitude, he knew himself well that he wasn't satisfied with eight for 10. I mean, I would have been patting myself on the back like, hey, great weekend. But that, that just wasn't the way he's, he was wired. And so just the leadership of that team just made it easy for me to uh, just enjoy the ride with, we ended up with three first round picks and Rigby was the first guy picked in the second round pitcher. Uh, so just, you know, one of those things that, you know, I'll never forget. Going to the College World Series, I mean, you and Miami are on the opposite sides of the bracket. Did your players want to play Miami at some point? Because Coach Morris had just left? Yeah, we had ended up, you know, playing playing them some. Not with those guys, though. So kind of by, by the time Miami uh, had rolled, you know, into our league, uh, most of the players probably that he had coached had, had And I was talking up. about Omaha because, I mean, you both end up making it to the World Series that year. You're on opposite sides of the bracket in 94. You know, yep. Oklahoma, Oklahoma came through that side of the bracket. Um, you know, and you think we talked earlier about how much college baseball has changed. That was still the six-team regional format, and then it was a straight double elimination tournament in Omaha, which is a long – that's a long tournament to try to beat everybody twice. You know, you think yes. how, how far we've come, and I think the game's in such a great place now because of some of those switches that we've made over time with, with the I tournament I do, too. Record. No, I do too. And I, I, I think, you know, particularly the championship format in Omaha, the true, the, the best team or the team that probably deserves it. If you get through that juggernaut, you know, and it's a two out of three series, which we all play. And, and I'll be honest, I, I would like to see him change the regional format now to where, you know, there's, you know, I guess what would it be? 32 be out of three. You just put a, you put another yes. weekend on the front of it. Um, where and, it's two out of three the whole way through. I think that would be a great. Mike Rooney's been been on that for a long time. Where you, you basically seed one through sixty four the entire tournament. I, I agree, and I just think it spreads out on campuses throughout the you know United States. Uh, you just more campuses and fan bases get a chance to see the great teams trying to make it to Omaha. I I'd love to see that. I don't know if it'll happen, but you know that that's where my head would go with it. I mean, and by the way, you've had Matt Weeders, Mark Teixeira, like, I mean, you've had some of the best, like, not not just, like, of their era, you're talking about some of the best hitters of all time in their era. I mean, you go back to Larkin, like, just, you look at the laundry list, and, and you said that about Veritek, was that the separator with those types of players as they want to continue to get better? No question, you know, and, and uh, you know, so I mentioned, and we've mentioned Barry Larkin, and, and uh, so... You know the story on him. I mean, he's a second-round pick out of high school, and and his mother basically said, "You're going to college." And his brothers had all played college football for the most part. All his visits at that time were in our football because he was the captain of the Cincinnati Molar football team when he was a senior. Uh, so we were fortunate to get him because his mom's like, "I want you to go to school first, 
So the talk at that time was this guy's going to be a center fielder. You know, like he, you know, he's he's kind of rough around the edges at shortstop, blah, blah, blah. So I, I'll never forget like laying my eyes on him. You know, he's a freshman and I, I can't wait. Okay, I'm gonna I want to hit this guy some ground balls to see what it looks like. And literally after like two days, I looked at Bud Middle and I'm like, you know, center field, you know what? I go, this guy's gonna be a shortstop. And rest is history. So have the chance to coach him, elite player. Now I'm coming to Georgia Tech and all the talks about, well, no Mark Garcia Parra. So I'll never forget the first practice we had, it had rained and we couldn't get on our field. So me being in the Midwest, like you got to adapt. So the football stadium here uh, was turf at the time. So I'm like, all right, boys, uh, you know, grab your gloves. And it's, it's, you know, it's a couple blocks, but we're going to the football stadium. We're going to get some ground balls today. Cause I wanted to see Garcia Parr. And so practice, watch him move, watch him throw everything. And I'm like, okay, I got, I always said, Hey, I'll never coach another player like Barry Larkin and he's a hall of famer. So, okay. Yeah. It's hard to get there, but no Mars right there with him. And and so after one practice, I'm like, boy, do I have a great shortstop here and in, in Nomar. And, uh, you know, and then, then to Shira just, um, you know, I, I, I like telling this story. So I wasn't recruiting him, like not recruiting him at all. I'd seen him. And I'm like, that guy's a first rounder. I'm not going to waste my time. And uh, so I wasn't recruiting him. And I get a phone call uh, from a guy that was advising him. And he's like, why aren't you recruiting Mark Tashira? And so kind of told him, he said something to me. It's just one of those things that sticks in your mind. He goes, well, I'll tell you this. If he's not a first rounder, he's going to school. And so I'm like, okay. So we end up having him in on a visit on a Wednesday. School was in session here. Bring him in on a Wednesday. He he stays with some of our players, watches his practice, and by Friday, he commits to come here. So you're still like, okay, we got to get through the draft, the whole nine yards. So the night before the draft, I called his house. He's from Severna Park, Maryland. His mom answered the phone. Mark wasn't there. Dad wasn't there. So just talked to her for a little bit. And the last thing she said to me, I mean, again, just one of those things that hits you. She goes, well, coach, she goes, I'm praying that Mark gets a chance to go to school. And and lo and behold, that's exactly uh, what happened. But to your kind of point in your question, from day one, Mark Tashira knew what he wanted, how he was going to get there, and there wasn't anything going to get, you know, in his way uh weeders kind of just same way all those greats they they you know tashira says it and I, I love using this line i'm at a great academic institution and what people do that get degrees from here including my players is is just unbelievable but mark tashira said this he goes i went to georgia tech to major in baseball he goes and and school was a little bit secondary he kind of says it that way but he was also an academic All-American. So I'm like, all right, Tex, uh, you know, but but I think that's true for all the great ones. They're they're picking a school that they think can accelerate, you know, their uh, their journey to the big leagues. And so, you know, those guys that you've mentioned, I've been fortunate. So I think I've been here 30. I've had 32 major league players in 30 years. 
and uh, you know, Charlie Blackman now too. I mean, that's another up and coming. You talk about a guy like unorthodox, but he's very in tune with the new style of hitting. And there's another one that that adjusted with the times. And so, like, you can go down back to the '80s to now. Like, you've developed elite hitters in every generation of hitting and hitting has the teaching part has changed a little bit I still think hitting's the same as it always been you've got to be a good hitter there's some art and some magic to hitting but you've you've had a guy in every generation where it's like okay that's the best in their generation of hitting that's always been the goal and and I've always been more on I guess that side of the baseball you know I've always worked with infielders but enjoyed the you know certainly working with hitters and the hitting part and i've been fortunate like i i've got a you know i've got a great hitting coach here right now and james ramsey he's a great player at florida state but you know he's done a tremendous job uh, since he's been here of just continuing to to develop our hitters and you know was very instrumental in kevin parada being a first round pick but you know so you know it's not not just me but you know i i have always found a lot of joy just in working with position players and, and, uh, and we've been fortunate here at tech that, you know, a lot of these guys are getting opportunities to continue to play and they're playing well. And, and, uh, you know, since I've been here, we've had $200 million guys in the big leagues in Tashira and, uh, Charlie Blackman. And there's not too many schools that can, can say that. So, you know, we'll hang our hat a little bit, on that but uh you know the credit to the players charlie blackman was a pitcher till his senior year so he made this when he kind of made the transition from pitching to hitting he he's made it work and you mentioned it he's very cerebral very smart i love listening to him to talk about hitting i love it because i was that way as a hitter so I, i really like listening to him talk about hitting he's awesome how have you been able to stay kind of with that fundamental approach? That's not always flashy and, and it's not going to get a bunch of play, but you have stayed with the fundamentals your entire career. You know, I, I'll say it like this. Like, I think you have to, you know, be willing to change. And, and I think you always got to be a lifelong learner. And, you know, I grew up in a household. My dad, much like you, was my high school football and baseball coach. Uh, and God bless him. He, you know, he's passed away. My mom's still alive, but she, they were both teachers. So grew up in a house of educators. And, you know, from time I was born, that was drilled in my head, like education is important. Uh, but I think you have to learn. And, you know, there's so much that, you know, you can get exposed to today with Twitter, Instagram, and everybody's teaching this and that. But I think a lot of it is just, you, you know, I, I love watching how major league players move and how they hit and, you know, what that looks like. And and then, you know, you watch your own players and it's like, OK, this this is what it looks like. This is how I think we can tweak it, get you better. And but to your point, you know, and I say it like this, like we have we have every piece of technology that somebody could have. And we use it a lot, honestly, to help us you know, develop these guys and kind of mold them. But at the end of the day, the hitter has to step in the box and have a plan and have an approach to try to hit that guy that's trying to get him out. And it comes down to competition, your plan, your preparation, uh, and you hope that it's good enough to make them certainly successful. Uh, So we're using it all. and, and, And that's why I say, I think you just have to, Keep your eyes open, be able to adapt, uh, be able to change what you think you need to change to make your 
players better, your team better. Uh, and there's a lot of great teams out here now. I mean, you know, well, we talked first... about it when I called you. How do you help your players stay confident through not just your conference schedule, but your non-conference schedule too? And you've you've had a lot of success with young players playing too. How do you kind of help nurse them through the entire season when they're not going to probably go eight for ten like Veritech do? That's just not a possibility with your guys' schedule. How do you help them stay confident through that process? It's really hard. I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll say it like this: We had a conversation yesterday with some of our upperclassmen we're getting ready next week start finals so you know i think today's the last day we can kind of be around our guys with ncaa rules and so we had that exact conversation like you know okay what are the goals how are we going to get there and so we bring up non-conference competition and uh and it was like you know our weekend series so we have we play 30 games in the acc you know, we play Auburn twice and then play all the teams in our state that are all real good midweek. And so, you know, you lose a midweek game and you feel terrible about it. And some of them are games you feel like, okay, we should have won. You know, our guys didn't play as hard, weren't as focused as much as they should have been. Uh, and now you're right into, a, you know, playing Miami or Virginia or Wake or somebody in our league. And uh, so it's hard to keep them focused, I think. Uh, you know, if I had all the answers, we, we probably wouldn't lose many of those uh, midweek games. But I do think that uh, it helps them understand just the day-to-day -day prep that they need to do to kind of, you know, almost forget about who you're playing. But here's the standard, you know, let's play to our standard, not somebody else's. And uh, there's probably going to be a lot of a lot of adversity in a lot of those midweek games. You're going to get behind, or you're going to have a lead, and you're going to blow it. You're going to have to try to hang in there and win it late. Uh, but those are all things I think that teach us. Okay, now now we got to go play all these ACC schools, and you know, hopefully we're in a regional and we're we're playing a mid major that is really good, and we've all you know we've kind of seen what. Uh, you know what that looks like and it's kind of funny we ha we have a kid that transferred in here from a mid-major and his comment yesterday was he goes oh he goes if if we were playing an acc team he said we were going to start one of our best guys it's their bullpen day anyway and then he goes if if we had a lead late we're bringing in our best guys to pitch he goes if we were behind you never saw him and I'm like, yeah, that's that's where it's at with a lot of these mid-majors. And I can't can't blame them at all. I'd be trying to do the same thing. My senior year was 97. We actually played you guys, and we had a young team. I think there was like six freshmen that played in, in that lineup with me. And so we got pounded on Friday night. You guys did end up winning the ACC that year. But you guys played Macho Man. That was your home run song back then. And so <laughs> Friday night, I'm tired of hearing that song. But we go out, and our bus is there. It's locked, and our bus driver is nowhere to be found. So we waited like an hour and a half. He, our bus driver shows up. You guys were feeding your family and team like down the line and we're sitting on the curb and our bus driver shows up in a cab. He went and swam. He didn't know how long games were. And, and you know, my dad, like uh, my dad was, oh. was not happy. We had just gotten pounded and then our bus driver didn't show up. Yeah, that's no fun. No, no doubt. You just want to, you know, if you lose, you just want to get on that bus and get to the hotel. 
I mean, over your time, we talked a little bit about some legislation changes. What do you feel like probably affected college baseball the most from a legislation standpoint over the years? I would just say what's happening now, the, the, the transfer portal and, uh, you know, the uh, NIL money uh, has totally changed it. And, uh, you know, I, I won't mention who, but I, 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 you know, I had a conversation with this guy and, you know, he, he's been a head coach at Power Fives and he's been, a, you know, a coach at a mid-major. And he said to me the other day, he goes, I'll never go back and coach a mid-major because he said, I don't want to develop my players for, you know, Power Five schools or bigger schools that are just going to come in and get them some NIL Yeah, but money. it was happening in summer ball. When I was playing and coaching in summer ball, it was, before we put the transfer rule in, it was happening. So, I mean, it, that's been a part of college baseball. It, it wasn't for a while because we had the transfer rule, but that was part of college baseball way back. No question. Me. No, you're it you're was. 100% right. That's how it happened was in, you know, in the Cape and other leagues that, uh, you know, guys were playing well or had really good years. So you're you're right on, on that. And uh, But I think that's been the biggest change for me is just, uh, you know, it, it, it the recruiting never ends and, and the recruiting pool has expanded and uh, you know, and the NIL money is, is the NIL money. It's just, you know, it's where we're at. And uh, are there ways know, to put guardrails on it? I would hope so. I don't know what that's going to, you know, going to look student like athletes have so much power now that I, I don't think they want it. And so, no. I, you know, they they have a probably in a in a good way, they have a, a bigger voice in the process now than they've ever had in the past. But I just don't think the student athletes want it. Yeah, I don't think that. No, I, I guarantee you they don't. And uh, but 18 yeah. to 24 year olds, you know, they they really don't know what they want yet either, though. So like it, that that goes yeah, two yeah. ways. It's like you're, you're giving them everything but they're not going to be mature enough to, to make some of those decisions sometimes where you have to have some guardrails for them too. And I think in our sport, you know, just more than any other, I mean, you got so many kids that are on, they're all on partial scholarships for the most part. So any little extra cash that you can put in their pocket just makes it better for them and makes it better for us. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I think that's the, probably unintended consequences for base baseball is that some of these guys can get more money and it's just less of a burden on them and their parents. How do you keep your mentality going every year? I, mean, you, you... I love it. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I kind of mentioned it. So, you know, I grew up in a household and I'll kind of give you my backstory. I, I think this is a great story as well. So, you know, Grew up, dad, you know, I was I was in a gym on a field from the time I was little and I loved it. Like, that's just what I wanted to do. I played football, I played basketball, I played baseball. Uh, and so go to school at Miami of Ohio. It's a really good academic institution. I'm a pre-med major because I had it in my mind, I'm gonna be a doctor. So for, uh, good chunk of my time at Miami of Ohio. I mean, that was my mentality. I that wanted was to my get track to pre-med was my track. Okay. So wanted to get drafted. And then after my junior year, uh, you know, that didn't happen. And uh, so I was playing for a guy named Don Purvis, who was the, at that time, the head baseball coach at Bowling Green in the central Illinois collegiate league. 
And at the end of the summer, he came up to me and he goes, uh, you know, what are you going to do, you know, if you don't get a chance to play pro baseball? So I said, well, I'm pre-med major. I said, I'm going to try to go to medical school. And uh, he said, well, he said, you ever think about coaching? And I said, well, you know, my dad was my coach. I saw what he did, and I'm just not sure I want to, you know, do that. Last thing he said, he goes, well, I think you'd be very good at it. And so then he doubles down and he said, if you change your mind, he goes, I want you to be a graduate assistant for me. Okay. So kind of get back to school, start thinking about it. I literally call him and I said, Hey, are you serious about, you know, me being a graduate assistant? He's like, yeah. And I said, all right, I'll do it. So kind of senior year, kind of think, okay, next year, I'm going to go to grad school at Bowling Green. And uh, so we're in our season now and we're on our, our longest trip every year was to central Michigan. So we're on the bus and uh, Bud Middle had, he had a graduate assistant, but it was a two year position. And I knew that this guy was coming back. So I'm a captain of the team sitting in the back of the bus. We're on our way to central Michigan. The graduate assistant comes back and he said, Hey, coach wants to see you. And, but middle always sat in the front seat on the right. So go up and he goes, sit down. And he said, uh, Hey, I'm hearing that you're going to go to Bowling Green to be a graduate assistant. And I said, yeah, I've told coach Purvis, you know, uh, he offered it to me. And so I told him I'm going to do it. He said, well, why wouldn't you want to be a graduate assistant at Miami of Ohio? I said, well, you already have one. I, I knew you had one and wasn't going to be possible. He goes, what if I get two? And so now I'm like, yeah, there's no shot. He's getting two. So I don't know. It's like a month later, same thing. We're on, on the bus going somewhere. Here comes, you know, the GA. Hey, coach wants to see you. So good up there. And he goes, well, I talked to coach Schreider. Dick Schreider was the AD at my high. He's going to give me a second GA. He, he goes, so I assume you're going to stay here and coach with me. And I said, well, coach, I said, I gave coach Purvis my word. I, you know, I just don't feel like I should go back on my word. Well, I don't get a word in for about 60 miles. Like he is wearing me out. So I always say this, one of the biggest decisions that I ever made in my life was made for me by Bud Middle. And so I will forever be grateful that he, he did that. Nothing against Coach Purvis, but I know I wouldn't be sitting here today without that conversation and him just, you know, he was not going to take well, that's no part of being him. a good recruiter, too, is recruiting <laughs> your assistant coaches also. That's that's part of it, yeah. too. Yeah. So so that that's kind of how it all, uh, you know, got to this point. Do you have a process for after season to help you recharge and get ready for the next season? You know, you, you kind of, you, you basically, you know, you're always worried about the draft. Like, how's it going to impact your freshman? How's it going to impact the guys you have? So I would say, you know, for sure the first month you're, you're still engaged in all the recruiting and, and doing all that. I don't have a bunch of hobbies. So, you know, I, I, I love what I'm doing. I love being in the, certainly the middle of, you know, some of the recruiting and, and just, everything that goes into being a head coach at a power five in a, in a great conference, you know, this is kind of the time of year where it's the, 
reset button a little bit. Our guys are taking finals. We can't spend time with them. And, and uh, so it's time just to, you know, get your head right, be around your family and uh, get ready to go for the convention. I think that's the great thing about the convention that just, that's kind of the start, the start for uh, college baseball. And uh, so always look forward to it. And you got Matt Weeders back on staff as a student assistant. <laughs> yeah. So, so he graduates in December and, uh, and so, you know, he's got three boys, so he, he, he's heavily involved in coaching right now, but he'll be around our program after he graduates, but it's been a pleasure really that, you know, the last almost two years to have him around our players. Uh, he, he, he's more quiet, but boy, when he speaks, it's one of those you better have your ears open and he's listen a lead to what by example say. guy. Yes. And then we have Deck McGuire as my student assistant. Oh, Deck was the first rounder here. So, uh, you know, we, we've been fortunate that way. And living in Atlanta, a lot of our pros live here. And so, you know, they're around constantly working out. And it gives our guys a chance to see them up close and personal. And, you know, hey, this is what it, what it looks like. And uh, plus for recruiting for you all being in Atlanta, like you don't have to go very far to everybody comes to you all. Like with the tournaments that are going on in the summer and the fall, like everybody comes to you all. So, hey, we we have great summer programs. We have great high school programs that and that's that's great. And and if you look at our roster, the majority of our roster is always, you know, going to have a lot of Georgia kids on it. You've kind of mentioned, though, like with us being kind of the academic school that we are, like we will venture out and get some really, really good players from other states to come in here uh, and play. Uh, the the bad part about it now, the good part on the recruiting end is we sleep in our beds. We don't have to go spend a bunch of money in recruiting the, and you've got hotel nights and food. You're You're sleeping in your bed every night. But yeah, all the perfect game events that roll in here. Now we've got PBR uh, at Lake Point. Uh, so a lot of stuff happens in our state where kids from all over the United States come in here and play all summer. So yes, it is great to, you know, kind of be in a hub uh, for amateur baseball. Do you have a fail forward moment? I have to, everybody has to answer this one. Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now, it helped you move forward? Uh, boy, that's a great, I mean, that's a great question. Probably not one. I, I would say, probably say it like, you know, so I'm at Michigan and, uh, you know, the, the other part, and, and I think most people can relate to this. So Bud takes me to Michigan at 24 years old to be his assistant. What he didn't tell me was it wasn't going to be a paid position with benefits. So I literally punched the clock for two years on the grounds crew, took care of the field, uh, but I'm coaching full time. Uh, and then my third year, then I became a full time coach, you know? So I always say part time pay, full time hours. Yes. That's what <laughs> yeah. it was back then. It was part time pay and, and overtime hours. <laughs> yes. And so, so there was plenty of days when I had a shovel in my hand or a rake or a wheelbarrow that I'm like, I've got a master's degree and this is what I'm doing. And so, so it reached a point where it was a Michigan baseball alum. He was in the insurance business and uh, 
he said, you ever think about, you know, getting in the insurance business? And I'm like, I haven't, haven't really given it much thought. So he kind of talked to me about it. Well, he, he convinces me to take, I guess, personality test or one of these tests, you know. Well, evidently, I, I like scored really high on this test. Now it's a full court press to try to get me to switch from coaching into the insurance business. And uh, so that was probably the the one moment that just really tested my patience, so to speak. But, you know, I always say that, uh, you know, the man upstairs has the plan. And trust uh, it. It's so hard sometimes, but you just got to trust the whole process to it. It's going to work out probably the way it should. Yes. And, uh, and so I, I, I definitely think that, you know, even that and then making the decision to go to Kent state, uh, you know, it's guided by, you know, by your faith and, uh, and, and faith in yourself of, you know, you got to believe in yourself and anything you're doing and, and, uh, believe that things are going to work out the way they should. You mentioned Scooney. I mean, what was so different about him as a pitching coach? Well, if you're ever around Scooney, he had a hearing aid, so he had a hard time hearing. Harvey Shapiro coached with him for a while in the Cape League, yes. so, but he loved yes, Scooney. Yes, he did. Yes. And, uh, but I always said he was a grandfather figure to our pitchers, like just had that presence of being able to get their attention. He he was very simple with them. Like he didn't, he didn't go way overboard with mechanics or any of that. It was... You know, he would always say, work fast, throw strikes, change speeds. That that was him, and he never got away from that. And uh, But he had the knack of making you believe that, you know, you're Roger Clemens. And he had that, that ability with every pitcher on our staff to make them believe they could get anybody out they were trying to get out. Do you have any evening or morning routines? You said you don't have any hobbies really other than baseball, but do you have I'll play I, no, I'll play some golf, but I still like to work out. You know, I think that's the great thing about this job is that, you know, you get a chance to, you know, we have a weight room in our stadium. And so, you know, I, I used to jog a lot. You know, I, I don't do that as as much, but love to walk, still lift some weights and um uh, you know, very involved with our infielders. So swing that fungo bat, you know, a lot when we're uh, in practice mode. But uh, what are your go-tos yeah. in the weight room? I'm just more of just a circuit. Like I- I'll try to hit all the groups and not, I, I don't kill myself in there. But I don't I do, either. I don't you know, either. I like to try to, you know, stay. Now, I, I got if you're, if you're sore at this age, you're, you're doing, you're doing too much. <laughs> Yeah, so so sore you might hurt yourself. That's that's where I just I don't want to do anything to where uh, you know I would hurt myself. And people always talk about well, the big thing now is pickleball. So I love telling this story. So I hadn't played it kind of because I'm just like you know I just don't know if that is going to be good. Like I love to compete, trust me. So everybody's like, well, the court's smaller. You don't have to move as much if you're playing doubles. So. We have a, a kid that played for me. He's a great player here named Stephen Blackwood. He's an orthopedic surgeon now. So Blackwood, two summers ago, has his son in my camp. So he came down one afternoon to pick him up. And so I'm like, hey, Blackie, I, I go, how's it going? He goes, coach, he goes, pickleball is keeping me in business. And I go, what do you mean? 
He goes, I must do 10 Achilles tendon surgeries yep. a week with people getting hurt in pickleball. So, so now I've, I've got that. I'm like, I'm not well, sure. Well, people I don't warm that. up. Like, that. that's the thing. Like, people don't do any sort of warm up. They just jump in and, and it's an explosive activity. We used to have that in PE class in high school. We played pickleball and it's a fun game, but people just roll out of the car and just start going after yeah. it. Like, that's where you're going to blow your Achilles out. I know. And so, so from that standpoint, now I have messed around a little bit with my two boys. So, you know, and, and they're way younger than me and both played here and great athletes. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of deal with that. But I, uh, I could easily see myself like, you know, getting more involved with that as long as I feel like, okay, not going to get hurt, but there'll be a time for that at some point. How was it coaching your boys? Awesome. Like, like, like debated it. Like, do I, you know, is this the right thing? And, and I played for my dad. So, you know, and that was a great experience for me. So I based a lot of it on, Hey, I love playing for my dad. Um, uh, and, and so the older one, it kind of came down to Georgia tech and Stanford. And we went out to Stanford and Mark Marquis showed us around and talked to my son and certainly gave him, you know, a great opportunity to go there, but he ended up choosing here. And then the younger one, uh, you know, I probably gave him a little more freedom in the recruiting, uh, you know, to see some other schools. And I honestly, I'm just going to be dead honest. I thought he was going to go to Florida State, play for, you know, Mike Martin Sr. And, you know, his two assistants were Mike Martin Jr. and Mike Bell. Uh, and so kind of thought that's what was going to happen. And it was probably Thanksgiving time. He's in the house and he sat down on the couch and he goes, well, I know where I'm going to school. And so we all kind of perk up like, okay, here it comes. And so he said, Hey, I want to go to Georgia tech. And, uh, but just in honesty, it's been a blessing to, uh, you know, I, I just say it like this, like you get to hang around your kids and watch them develop as young men for a few more years, you know, you, you, and, and, you know, your dad was, you know, a college coach, like that takes you away from your family quite a bit. And so you miss out on some high school games and stuff. I never tried to, you know, summertime, I didn't miss a lot. Like I got a chance to, because they played at a high level. So I could say, hey, I'm watching my sons play, but I'm also recruiting, seeing other players that they're playing against. But I just think it was, it was a blessing. And I think they would tell you it was a blessing. And the my mom one came in town the last couple of days. We talked about it last night. I told somebody that I was like, I don't think my relationship would be as close to my dad now as it would have been if I hadn't played for him because of that because you do miss a lot with them being gone where being around my dad and brother for four years playing and then getting to coach with them for two years I don't think my relationship would be would be as close we'd still be close but not like it would have been if I hadn't played for him yeah and and you know the oldest one is an agent now works for excel sports management Casey Close and uh and then the youngest one is in uh, orthopedic sales, uh, kind of in the medical device industry. But got both of them here now. The oldest one was in New York City for a couple of years, kind of working side by side with Casey Close. And now he's uh, he's moved back here, just himself in the hotbed of all these great baseball players uh, that we are surrounded by. And then the youngest one is trying to carve out his niche, uh, in the orthopedic sales world. What are some final thoughts before I let you go? 
I, I'm, I'm just super excited, you know, to, uh, to join this. And it, I'd say it like this, like it's a blessing to see Brian O'Connor go in, who we've competed against for years, to see Jim Morris, who I replaced here. We're going in in the same class. And then the other one is Tim Petterini. So just being able to, uh, you know, see what he did at the College of Worcester. My wife is from Worcester, Ohio. Her dad went to the College of Worcester. So I think that makes it neat, like very aware of being in the ABCA chairs, being president at one point in time of all the greats that are in this Hall of Fame. And, and Jim uh, and Wells, what, too. I mean, Jim Wells was one of my idols, yes. coaching idols when I yes. was coming through. And my pitching coach right now played for Jim for one year at Alabama. Uh, so that, that's what makes it neat. Like you're in select company, but you're around great people that have done a lot of great things for the game of baseball. And you always want to you, – you aspire to get to that level. And then the other thing I said, I think I said this to Brian O'Connor, is that, you know, I wish my dad was alive to uh, see it. I know he's going to look at it. But my mom is, and that that just meant a lot to me. Yeah, yeah, Brian. I know he was going through a lot last year, being in Omaha, and you know he's going through it right now. But um, you know, it's, no it's doubt, part of it. it's part of it. So yeah, I appreciate your time, Coach. This was awesome. Nah, awesome. Please, yeah, tell your dad. You, sir. Yep, loved loved him always. All right, take care. Have a good day. Yep. Congrats again to Coach Hall for being inducted into the ABC Hall of Fame. This is a loaded class of Division I head coaches going in this year. Some of the best to ever do it. Should be a great time in Dallas. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and Antonio Walker in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyBCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Wait for another